Well, good morning, good day, good evening. My name is Jill, and I'm pretty sure today is Friday, February 9th. I do know it is 2024. And you are here at some version of my journals out loud. And I said this in the last podcast, and I think I like it. Uh, What I'm sharing with you are ideas and thoughts that I write about, trying to get them past the ethers of my pages into the ethers of our minds. And we're just going to slow down. So normally I start with all of us just taking a deep breath uh, through our nose, digging out that old air in our lungs and exhaling. And uh, I wasn't even going to do a podcast today. I'm going to be honest, uh, I'm in a little bit of a dark place. And I mean that literally. We've had several days of rain and intense wind. And so, you know, when I get trapped in this little car with these two dogs for days on end, I tend to go to dark places in my own mind. And, you know, the good news is the stars are out this morning, which hopefully means that we'll have some sun. We're not completely out of our weather window. And I can see at the end of the next coming week, next Thursday, Friday, that temperatures go back up and the winds are gone and the sun is out. So we're just holding our breath to get through these darker days into the kind of weather that actually allows me to function in what I feel like a human being. But so I've been kind of spinning out trying to to think what should I even talk about because I don't want to share with you my real mood. Uh, but a couple things happened. And so this isn't this is just going to be kind of all over the place because I want to touch base. I like staying on my schedule. And if you haven't listened to the last podcast, that one I thought went very well. Uh, I know several of you have listened to it and commented. Thank you. Uh, but, you know, everyone can't be a whole entire process. So a couple things. Uh, so last night, you know, I was at that peak thing, you know, where like it was cold wind and frustrated. And uh, somehow I got in here and was on the phone looking at something. And one of those cat dog videos came up. And I, you know, I will intellectually complain about those, but I just stopped for a moment and watched one of those funny cat videos. And they're so funny. What these animals do is just breathtaking. I think, you know, probably one of the best gifts that these uh, social media has offered us is windows into other people's worlds just on a day-to-day basis. And uh, and I'm visualizing this one cat was like, it held itself in this weird pose up on its hind legs like it was an action figure in a video game. I think that was the tag. And it just went on and on. And I noticed that something in my mood and energy just broke in a positive way. Something let go. And I thought, you know, as much as I am judgmental about the superficial and the, uh, you know, useless content that's out in the world in so many ways, at the same time, I needed that. Just like sometimes you guys' comments just hit the right place. I'm like, I just needed that. But I needed that interruption of this uh, sort of doom zone that I have been in trying to uh, function, you know, with uh, our limitations here. And uh, and I'm always like this. I could be in a mansion as long as it's crappy outside. I just need the sun. I do not function uh, when it's overcast. 
And, you know, that's my experience in the morning with the dogs. The first thing that they do is they stick their little face in mine and we have a moment where I tell them how beautiful and perfect they are. And they're so cute. And it's just, it breaks everything. And I thought, you know, uh, that is so important. Uh, And I think that's such a value that animals and little children can bring to us because, you know, over the course of the day, everything gets on our nerves in some way, shape or form. But there are those moments of intense cuteness and humor and funniness that are so important to break whatever energy patterns are happening in that moment. Uh, that was actually the purpose of the court gesture was to lighten things up, to break the tension with humor. That is the role of the omega in a wolf pack. He gets abused by everybody, but his purpose is to break the tension and the stress of the wolf pack. And, you know, I'm sure there's some version of that in our family. Usually one child reacts to the tension by becoming funny. I think some of the best comedians are children from homes where there was too much tension and pressure and negativity and suffering and pain and darkness. Now, a lot of times inside those same uh, comedians like Robin Williams have a lot of personal things going on, but, but they develop that skill because they could see the relief in everybody else's face. They could feel that energy break. And remember, we're sort of moving into this idea of talking about the language of energy, uh, which doesn't have words. And so the beauty of the animals and their cuteness and their funniness, it just, something releases. So Again, you know, I tend to be a little judgmental about people who enter, who engage full time in superficial things. But at the same time, in that moment, I was so grateful that someone had taken the time to compile all these short, funny clips. Because, you know, in addition to breaking my energy, it just reminds me how everybody has different things going on within their home space, their private space, and the magic that these animals bring into our lives, the cats and the dogs, and they're just so precious in their uniqueness and the things that they do. And it's irreplaceable. It's just irreplaceable. So I just wanted to offer that as a moment of of gratitude and blessing and uh, reality that Uh, Sometimes you just need to take a cute break, a humor break, and not political, you know, not humiliation, just cute with no uh, tags on it other than, you know, soft fur and cute noises and funny reactions and uh, (laughs) just how amazing, you know, these little animals and creatures can be and how grateful uh, I am for them in my life and how grateful I was in that moment that somebody took the time to compile uh, the cute factor because I needed that little break. And so uh, I wanted to speak to that. The next thing, uh, though, I wanted to talk to in a more earnest way is how uh, 
we're in this transitional time and it's full of tension and frustration and we're all having a wildly different experience and you know when i started this however many years ago in my mind uh, I really, I think I've told this, but I'm going to retell the story for people who are new, is that, you know, I really was fascinated with the crucible process and the wired for danger nervous system and how those who are wired for danger, meaning those of you who have the hero complex, right? I just want to save the world. Uh, we launch ourselves into crucibles. And what I have observed, you know, from myself and from others, you know, when you look over the course of a lifetime in history is the really good stuff happens in the fourth stage. And every crisis, whether it's tiny or cataclysmic, you know, has four stages. But we really only speak to three of them before, during, and after. There's the preparation for the crisis or, uh, you know, the un unknowing time, you know, where you're just living. You don't know the crisis is coming. There's the lead up to the crisis. There's the crucible itself. Crucible actually means like a metal bowl, uh, able, I think, to hold high heats uh, for, for uh, smelting processes. And so there's the, the actual event, you know, the earthquake, the sun going boom, the war, uh, whatever it is, that crucible is the horrible part of the experience. Then there's the after, uh, when the dust settles and everything is broken and shattered and you have to have the rebuilding process. But there's a fourth stage and that fourth stage was what I find the most interesting. And that fourth stage is really when you process the last three stages and you take the lessons and you decide, is this going to make me a better human being? Uh, am I going to learn? Am I going to grow? Am I going to apply the lessons learned? Or am I going to uh, live in denial? Or I'm going to stay in my resentment? Or I'm going to be angry or bitter? Or I'm going to charge around and restart the crucible for the next generation and continue the cycle of, right? Uh, but it's where the magic happens. It's where the real wisdom emerges. You know, my favorite story of this is, uh, and it wasn't so much as a crucible as a kind of crucible lifetime, is, uh, is it Musashi, Miyamoto Musashi, who's, who was uh, a samurai who killed his first person at 13. And he uh, was famous slash infamous as a samurai because he was so against the grain. He was so uh, avant-garde in this in the samurai world, and he messed with people's minds. And he evolved his samurai from killing to a wooden sword to just humiliating to eventually leaving it all behind because he figured out after I think he had 60 duels, he killed 60 people because he always won. Uh, he retreated to a cave and he wrote uh, the five rings. He compiled his wisdom and he shared it with the world from his cave and people, you know, would kind of wander up. And I always thought he had done that when he was really old, uh, but he did it when he was 61, which is my age. And then he died of cancer. And he took that time to coalesce the learning of his lifetime and share his wisdom. And so 
when we as humans, you know, look back, what we value over the course of his life really reflects to us what kinds of things are important. But for me, I love processing the crucible at this age. I don't want to be in the fight. I'm too tired to fight. I feel how the fighting is stupid. Uh, you know, it's a useless waste of time and energy and money and resources, and it just creates problems up one side and down the other. But the value from the experience, even if it is something like running around killing people, I mean, at least with samurais, they, uh, in that culture at that time, they were often used, you know, for other issues. But his was, uh, you know, that, that, uh, I need to be able to kill somebody to feel like a man thing, right? That was his honor. It was the, the capacity to kill. And how, you know, after he did it a bunch, he decided that's probably not who we really need to be as humans. And so it was only through the act of that experience, you know, that he got to that conclusion. And when I look at that, I think, well, the important thing is he got to that conclusion. How do we move off of that versus repeating the same cycle over and over again. To me, what I love at this point in my life is the wisdom gathering, uh, the processing. But what I've come to understand is we're all in a different place with it, and some people never want to get there. And even if you do get there, it doesn't mean anybody else cares about what you got. And so I still think it's important, but I can also look now and say it's just not very valuable to most people, but it doesn't mean it's not of value. And so uh, w what's happening though right now is we're at the very crux of the crucible process from preparing for it to where it's actually happening. But I think, you know, myself included, I always kind of imagined it was a hard line, like one day everything's okay. And then the next crisis moment, the flood deluge tidal wave comes. But our crucible isn't a hard line. You know, I, like so many people, have been waiting for the shoe to fall. That one thing, that nuclear bomb, whatever, that one thing that defines the transition from pre-crucible to crucible. But I think what we're experiencing is a blurry line from pre to actively in it. Uh, and when you talk about this, you know, a thousand years from now, from their perspective, it will be a date. It happened on, you know, 2019, whatever, versus living in it, it's blurry. And I say that because it's exhausting waiting for it to happen. And it's terrifying to acknowledge it is happening. And, I, and that to me is why there's so much range in how we're all responding to the things that are going on. You know, I've been saying we're in war for a long time. You can go back to 2020 in March when we, the COVID first started. And I do, I, we're at a war. We're in war. And in many ways, you're just hearing people say, oh, yeah, we're in a war. And then there's a whole bunch of other people saying, well, we're getting ready for when there is a war. So we're all having a wildly different experience with the same collection of facts and events. And we're funneling it through our comfort zone of where we want to be in the crucible or maybe where we physically are, right? Like if you're out in the middle of nowhere, 
you can imagine, you know, pre-American uh, Revolution, you got no newspaper. It might be six months that your country had been fighting and you still didn't even know about it yet because communication was very slow. In our world today, there's too much communication. We have no idea what's true. Uh, and the whole uh, AI that was brought up in the comments, you're absolutely right. You know, the worst part is now we don't even know what's true. And when we look at it, the fake version looks real. It's, you know, and that is really scary, right? Because how do we know what is or isn't true? And I think all of us are running around going, we don't even know what's real or what's not real anymore. But I think separate from all of that, certain things will always be true. And that crucibles have four stages. Uh, we have individual personal crucibles. We have family crucibles. We have local crucibles. And right now we're in a global crucible. We're in this moment of time where it isn't just about countries. It's about cultures and civilizations. And soon, you know, we're coming up on one of those 12,000-year events where something big, regardless, you know, what your uh, perceptions are in all this. Uh, some people think it's another planet coming. Some people think it's aliens coming. Some people uh, think the sun goes boom and the poles shift. Wherever we are, something big is on the horizon. And while there may not be a hard and fast date, that's going to be a crucible we're all going to share and experience uh, and most of us aren't going to survive, but the people who do survive it will be those who determine what the next version, the next 12,000 years look like for humans on this planet. And the reality is almost nobody cares about that. That feels so far away and so irrelevant and so unnecessary, you know, as we're here grasping for ideas to manage our immediate experience, that it's never going to take hold. And so, you know, I've been sitting with all these ideas trying to figure out what I want to do with them. And I love, you know, the crucible idea, and I'm very attached to uh, what does this mean for the future? And I totally get Nobody else really cares about that. And even if you do care about it, you know, you're like me. You have to shift back into the here and now. You know, right now the girl dog doesn't feel good. I don't know what's going on with her. I mean, these, you know, I'm tired of being locked up in a space with wind and rain and crappy elements. And, you know, I we can all have these abstraction conversations. And then we have to shift back into the day and day reality of, and who cares about all this big stuff? And then, Thank God, right? There's little funny cat videos that sort of break all of that intensity that goes on within me, which most people don't have. And I can uh, take a breath, step back, and regroup. Just like this morning, I opened the door for our taking the dogs out. And it's, uh, you know, dark and there's a little bit of wind and it's colder than usual but I can see stars. And, you know, that makes me so happy. I can see stars. And that means there's hope that there'll be sun in the morning. And if there's sun in the morning, my day starts off so much better than when it's cloudy, windy, rainy, first thing in the morning. And so I decided, okay, 
what do I really want to talk about? And I just went on for 20 minutes. What have I really talked about? And I think that that's sort of the point. We're all having wildly different experiences. We have wildly different intentions. We have wildly different dreams. And we're all pushing into something that's important to us or we're pulling back because we don't want to deal with what's important to us or we're freezing up because we can't deal with what's happening to us or to the world around us. And we're all having our own unique experience with all of this. But there's real power in being able to connect around something so we don't feel like we're drowning in the isolation of what is happening within our tiny world. And that is, you know, this capacity to communicate, this capacity to connect, which are really all the bridges that we must have in order to not feel insane. In the same way that this little kitty, I don't know where this cat is. I don't know what year it is. I don't know what country it is. I don't know what language the person who owns the cat is. But I can connect with the cuteness factor because it's not verbal and it's not cultural and it's not anything that puts up the barriers to my energy field that needs to push back or freeze up or run from. There's nothing attached to that tiny moment of cuteness that I have to be afraid of that I have to resist, that goes into my I don't want category. It just is. And I don't think anybody can look at a cute little kitten, except a, you know, a serial killer, except a, a socio-psychopath, right? Most normal people, people who are not, you know, affected by other things other than, you know, what we're talking about here is that you, it's really difficult to not be human and look at that and not have some kind of softening, some kind of relief, some kind of shift in the energy field. And it's our capacity, I believe, to be able to recognize those subtle shifts for what they are. If we can translate that into the rest of our day, I think, you know, maybe we could connect in a different way. And and this morning, uh, while I was... Uh, making coffee and uh, look, you know, I download things in the morning to listen to. And uh, I ran across the interview between Tucker Carlson and Vladimir Putin. And I thought, well, it isn't that I think he's going to say anything that's super important that I haven't already heard, but I'm going to log in my view as an active FU, right? So I want the, I want uh, the powers that be, so to speak, to see high numbers of uh, those of us in the U.S. that are going to watch this because uh, it's a little tiny thing I can do. I can register one more view uh, as a signal that I am willing to listen to something other than the party line. And so uh, as I was watching this interview and uh I, I was filtering it through what I just shared with you. It's like, what is the language of energy that's going on between these two guys who are talking about something 
And what, how does that impact what's being said? Is there value in that? And so I wanted to just touch on that a little bit because it was so reflective of why we have problems in our personal relationships. And, you know, I think Tucker Carlson is extremely intelligent. He's very calculated. He's very sophisticated in his uh, capacity to communicate, uh, you know, big ideas and sound bites and small chunks uh, that, you know, he's obviously gained the ability to be uh, very powerful in what he chooses to talk about, whether you like him or not. But he also has, you know, a little boy quality about him. You know, he just, he pulls his energy back and starts laughing. Uh, and he's, he's, you know, taught, and I don't normally ever physically watch these things. Normally, I only listen to the audio, the podcast. And so I was able to see both men uh, sitting across from each other. And obviously, there's a language barrier. Uh, and that was sort of the first thing that struck me as I was trying to listen to Putin's uh, talking, but it's coming through the translator. And so I could feel myself zoning out. I was having a lot of trouble uh, bringing my attention back to actually be able to hear the words because it's disruptive when I can see the words aren't coming out of his mouth. And that's a real problem when you don't speak the same language. Uh, you know, the other thing I observe that's happening is Tucker wanted a specific question asked. He began the interview. Why did you invade now and not 20 years ago when you first took office? And I think I'm almost an hour into the interview and Putin is still explaining historical uh, concepts, ideas, and information. And Tucker is increasingly frustrated and he keeps interrupting and he keeps trying to redirect to answer the question that I asked. Translation, you're not listening to me. This is what I asked. Answer the question I asked. And Putin, who's very sophisticated, and I did hear Megyn Kelly say one time he's very calculated. He shifts his persona to match the person that he's talking to. But he's very measured. He's very calculated. He's very precise. He's very slick. You know, he's been doing this a long time and he's been working with people a long time. He knows how to communicate. And he's redirecting Tucker back to why he's doing this long diatribe. And, you know, what I'm taking from it is that it's not you know, it's hard to follow the history of all of this because we don't know who all the players are and that kind of stuff. But what he's desperately trying to do is to seek to be understood. Like this is a moment he recognizes. It's a two and a half hour interview where he can actually speak to people in a long form format that others might actually listen to. And I think we can all relate to this idea of the desperation for people to understand us, the desperation for Russia to be understood from its point of view. And even in this interview, even though Tucker Carlson would tell you he thinks he's trying to be open-minded, he doesn't want to know. He wants to know what's happening now. He doesn't want to know why all this other information is true. He wants to have the answer now, and he keeps pushing for that. And uh, at the beginning, it opens the interview saying, 
after all of this took place, and now that he's had time to think about it, he can see that he feels like Putin was being sincere. But while it's happening, his belief system was that uh, Putin was just delaying and filibustering and, and, and sucking up time. Uh, but what I see going on between the two of them is that Tucker keeps pushing. I don't want this. I want that. I don't want this. I don't want that. And and uh, Putin keeps saying, no, this is our time. I want this. And this is what we're going to do. And he sh has the right to do that because he's the one being interviewed. He's the one that has given his time to share his story. And he's very politely and sophisticatedly pushing back on Tucker's push. And that's the energy. That's the discussion. You don't even have to speak either language to see there's this negotiation happening. Now, I haven't uh, listened to the rest of it. and uh, But I think it's so important to understand that it doesn't matter if it's two people talking over the dinner table uh, about what we're going to do about the kids. When you have two different agendas, it's, you know, it's very difficult to understand each other. And you have to want to understand. And some people, most people aren't Putin. They aren't sophisticated. They aren't slick. They aren't organized. They can't redirect and refocus and keep everybody on track. Usually that kind of conversation just breaks down because most of us just think that everybody's listening to us the way that we're talking. When, like I said, 70, 90% of the, com the conversation is nonverbal. It's happening in the energy field. And you can see the push back and forth between, I mean, I can see the push back and forth between the two men you know, the agenda is Tucker wants the real story and Putin wants to get the real story out, but neither one is doing it in the way that the other one wants. But in the power struggle, Putin really has the power because he is the story, not Tucker. And so, you know, Tucker keeps stepping back, you know, and then stepping up, redirect, stepping back as he gets corrected, pushed back, stepping up to redirect, you know, and this has been going on for an hour. So I don't know what happens after this or if the conversation ever gets into more of a flow. But it's a really powerful example of the subtlety of this language of energy that's happening. And so, uh, you know, what's very simple for me to understand, because I had a lifetime of thinking, learning, experience this, you know, as a social worker, interacting with all kinds of people, having to understand how to communicate with people who are all wildly different in their communication styles. You know, now I feel like I'm in the cave trying to take all this wisdom I've had and do something with it, where, but it isn't something most people value, because the value system is I want to understand versus I need you to understand me. And so much of my stress in this process that I've been trying to engage in is this understanding from my side is that I will never be understood and I need to let go of that. Like, how can I let go of that? In the same way I'm seeing Tucker give up and just let this process unfold. And that's what I need to do. I need to let go and let this process unfold. 
and at the same time not become ridiculously uh, intense trying to communicate it because it's too much. I mean, it's too much, you know, when I'm floating around in my own head and I can feel how that pressure has built when the cats just popped it and it like a balloon and and the pressure releases. And I think that's a real problem for push people. Uh, push people are all push, push, push. And we need to be right. And we need to be heard. And you need to understand me and why this is the way you should do it. And push is masculine energy. We're like, it's a bulldoze energy. Uh, you know, I would say flight, pull, retreat is a feminine energy. Just leave me alone. I want to get away from you. Ah, right? And I would say pause is that perfect blending of masculine and feminine energy where both can be present in the same space and magic happens, either within us or within somebody else. Oops, the dogs are activating. So uh, that means the microphone is moving. Sorry. And, and that's the beautiful thing about these three types of energy, push, pull, pause, is this dance uh, and that's the beauty of the animal who isn't even reacting to the human. I think sometimes they do, but mostly they're just sitting around being cute, is they are breaking the push. They are relieving the retreat from the pull away, or they're cracking the freezing of your pause, because pause is also freezing up, uh, shutting down, disconnecting, and just, you know, that's the the... The low, end, the low vibration side versus the high vibration side. It's the uh, just checking out. I don't want any energy. And so the animal has that perfect ability because we are not pushing all of our crap onto it. I mean, we do. But for the most part, they're oblivious to it, especially cats. I mean, dogs are obviously more sensitive to who we are. But cats, as we all know, don't really care what we think. <laughs> They're just in their own world being who they're being. And I have to say, I am so sad. I never wanted dogs. I, my goal was to just get a cat because that's about where my energy level is. And I don't have to go outside and walk it, right? And I am I miss my kitty because she was um, she was just one of those rare kitties. And I just miss, you know, the morning when she would curl up in my lap or she would just do something that was so unbearably cute, right? It just pulls you out of whatever push-pull-pause energy, you know, beam you're locked up into that you need. Even when it's just weather, like nothing bad is happening. It's just weather. It's just happening uh, and it's part of the flow of life. And it's, you know, and I intellectually understand that wind and rain always make me feel crummy. And uh, when the sun comes out, I always feel better. Like nothing else in my world will change except for that one thing. And I can feel this massive shift in my energy field. And this is the language of energy I'm trying to speak to. It's not verbal, but I'm trying to verbalize it with you because that's what I'm taking from my cave experience here at the end of my life. What wisdom would I want to share? Because what's most important to me is who we are and what we're going to create post-crucible. How do we get through this and not lose the best pieces of ourselves? And what do we want to move forward? Uh, 
And I have been uh, refining, refining, refining these last two months verbally how I want to say it, like which specific words do I want to use because I ha- I can't keep changing my mind. Like I can't keep moving around and evolving the language and things like that. You just, you know, the way that the the real world works, right? The digital world works is you have to keep on the same phrases. You can't keep changing your mind. And, uh, you know, and I love Wired for Danger, but of course nobody knows what I'm talking about. And it's, you know, so I'm in this process, you know, of swimming around with these very simple ideas over and over and over again, desperately trying to commit to it and not change my mind again, because it's not even changed my mind. It's like I'm continuing to evolve and simplify and clarify, but it takes time. It's a process. And to me, that's why I love the fourth stage of the crucible. It's where the magic happens. It's where we become Uh, You know, the story is the crisis. The story is the crucible event. The story is the rising from the ashes. You know, that pre, before, during, and after, that's what a story is. This is who you are. Here's the conflict. And here's how it resolves, for better or for worse. Happy ending, sad ending. That's story. That's the story structure. That's how we best communicate an idea. I heard somewhere that actually humans are wired to learn through the story process. But I think there's a fourth stage to a crucible or to a crisis event, and that is where the magic happens. That's where we integrate and process and evolve and think and feel and let go and choose what do I want to hold on to, what do I want to let go of, uh, and then refine until the next crucible. And it may come the next day because sometimes they seem to come in sets of waves, right? One thing after the other. Uh, And it takes time to recover. You know, it's not a one-day process. It's a long-term process. And the bigger the crucible event, the longer the process is. And, you know, we don't like to hear that. Like, uh, you know, you've had a trauma. I just want to get a pill and I want it over with. It takes a long time to process and heal trauma. But you only can do it by starting. And that's what I love about this fourth stage. But what I've come to understand, you know, trying to communicate these ideas is that one, nobody knows what I'm talking about. Two, it's not really important for most people. Most people don't sit around and process things. And three, we're in a huge, big, fat, collectible crucible right now. So trying to talk about this fourth stage isn't helpful. But what I also recognize is it's not just about the crucible process. It's about human process. We have basically four stages of our lives as humans. And where we are, you know, and I divide them up by 25 years, right? So where we are in stage one, two, three, four makes who we are very different out in the world. When you are you know, young and you're just starting your life, you want to push out into the world. You know, when you're in the last 25 years of your life, you're starting the process of pulling back within to yourself and letting the world go. And so there's all these things that are happening to all of us in different ways at different times with different meaning. And that has been so hard for me 
I get it intellectually, but it's been extremely difficult for me to process because I function by reading off one person's energy. My entire way of being in the world in person is best dealt with one-on-one because I'm in constant response to that one person's energy. And everything about social media is the opposite of that. It's all these different energies coming at me and I can't respond to all of them. And so I just melt down and I can't function in the, in the, the face of all that. So that's, you know, what I'm trying to kind of settle on a very simple course forward so that I can stop responding to everybody else's input that distracts me because I am wired for one-on-one communication. Uh, You know, the only way I can do group communication is if I'm leading the group and managing the group. But just having fun in the group, I don't have fun because I'm constantly trying to respond to everybody's energy. You know, I think my favorite example of this, and I say this, I'm only sharing this for those of you who understand what I'm saying or who don't, you know, something to think about. But normally I'm really good in a job interview. It's one-on-one and I can just read the other person and I can tell them what they want to hear, you know, whatever. But one time I had a job interview, it was five people and it was a table so that it wasn't even me looking at the five people. There's one on my left, one on my uh, right, one at the end of the table, and two people across from me. And so they're peppering me with questions. And I was so uh, flustered because I couldn't look at everybody at one time. I had to keep turning and looking at everybody because I, you know, do eye contact. And so I'm constant I was trying to talk to everybody at the same time and and I re, you know by doing that I was ignoring somebody else and it was so stressful and somehow I actually got the job I don't even it's the only time I've walked out of a job interview uh thinking oh my god I completely blew that because I couldn't function properly you know with this physical setup and this many people you know, all directing their energy at me and all wanting me to respond in a different way. So when I speak to this idea of the language of energy, this is me in my fourth stage, hiding in my cave, trying to coalesce all this stuff. And I recognize it's not valuable to everybody, but I think some of the components can be, like understanding we are in a crucible right now and that there are four stages and we're all in a different stage and we're in a collective crucible and we're in a moment where we can't really do anything. Like you can't stop the tidal wave. You just have to get through it. You have to ride it out. You have to either surf it or dive underneath it or get crushed by it. And most of that is a logistical issue. It's not a choice. You can't control where you are in the tidal wave process because you don't know where it's going to hit, right? You don't know where the earthquake's going to hit. You don't know where that first bomb is going to go off. And and so we're all in this kind of heightened state of awareness, some more than others, but we're responding either by being afraid of it and shutting down and freezing up, being afraid of it and running away from it, or being afraid of it and saying, F you, I'm going to fight it, 
Or, you know, the one thing we can't do is go off planet. At least most of us can't, if that's a thing, right? We can't escape it. It's happening to us whether we want to or not. We're all having a different response to it in the same way we're going to all have a different response in the rebuilding phase. But my great joy is in the pro the fourth stage, the processing stage, the extracting the wisdom from it. And then what are we going to do from there? What do I want to move forward? So I just wanted to kind of throw all that out there because I didn't want to come and do my, what was going on with me is this, you know, the pressure of the weather, you know, oh, <laughs> I don't want to share that. Uh, I can't show you the cuteness of the dogs. Uh, what I can do, I forgot to say this at the beginning, so only those of you who have listened will understand this. I posted a picture because I don't know about you. I keep, you've seen those pictures where you like, can you spot the donut on the carpet, right? When the carpet all looks like donuts. Uh, so I took this picture of the dog and I kept looking at them saying, there's something wrong. I can't see what's off in this picture, but there's something that's off. And so I'm going to post it for you and see, can you see where uh, something that doesn't belong is part of this picture, but you can't see it. You can just feel something's off. And then you have to actually look carefully and some of you will probably spot it immediately. And some of you may not be able to spot it all. And this kind of thing serves two purposes. One, it reminds us that we can feel something is off. I think that's what AI will be for us. We will have to trust that we feel something is off, even though we can't see or hear it. And then can we find what's off? And why that can be valuable is it completely shifts your energy. It takes all of your focus off of whatever that intensity is, especially when it's a heavy or an unwanted or you just need a break from it. And it just is like, uh, you know, letting the air out of a balloon. It just, whoosh, it just relieves the pressure. So, uh, you know, so I, as my, as I say, I tend to be very judgmental about the superficial and the inconsequential but it has a place and it has a role and there's nothing better than our cute little cats and dogs and kids to break that tension. Sometimes that it's very easy to get trapped under, especially in the middle of a crucible. And so I think just remembering that, then that's a gift we can give others when we recognize that they might be drowning a little bit maybe we just need to show them a kitty video because you just can't not see the cute factor when this cat is acting like an action figure. <laughs> I can't get the vision. I wish I could find it for you. I can't get it out of my mind. This cat was so funny. So with that, I actually went on infinitely longer than I thought I would. Deep breath, my friends, and I will see you next time.